Principle two, consistency. Indulge in a physical exercise for a moment. Please, look around and find something made of metal. Indulge in a physical exercise for a moment, please. Look around and find something made of metal. Maybe it's your phone or your chair. Whatever it is, pick it up, heft it, feel its weight and its mass and its texture. Now try to eat it. Side note, I assume no responsibility for injury caused by listening to this audiobook. Presumably, you were not able to consume whatever it is you found, at least not without causing serious harm to yourself, but what if you could? How extraordinary would that be? How remarkable. Imagine if you would, 18 bicycles piled up in front of you. Move your eyes to where the height of that pile would be. Now, add 15 shopping carts, keep adding, 6 full-size chandeliers, 7 old-fashioned television sets, 2 king-size bed frames, a computer, a pair of skis, a coffin, and, like an enormous cherry, top your mental metal heap with a small airplane. Imagine the enormity of this pile. Imagine its weight. 18,000 pounds to be exact. And now imagine eating everything in that pile. It seems impossible, but this is exactly what one man did. Monsieur Mangatau, also known as Mr. Eatsall, personally consumed every last bit of metal described above. Most people find it difficult to even fathom how this could be possible. As is frequently the case, however, the mystery of the remarkable is often quite simple. The truth is that every human can eat metal. Humans eat indigestible material all the time. In fact, our health requires it. Think about fiber. But even if this is the case, how could such a massive quantity of metal be consumed? The way you eat 18,000 pounds of metal is the same way you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. It's the same way Michelangelo painted Miles of masterpiece on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, one inch at a time. As a young man, the Monsieur started carrying tiny metal clippers everywhere he went. At meals, he would snip off minuscule pieces of screws and other metal fragments he carried in his pockets. He ate about 10 ounces at every meal and sometimes enjoyed a tasty steel snack in between. He did this every single day, consistently throughout his entire lifetime. Frankly, it's not possible to eat 18,000 pounds of metal in any period less than an entire lifetime. The entire feat hinged completely on the principle of consistency. To watch Monsieur Mangatown eat metal with one meal would be interesting, but not inconceivable. But when the principle of consistency is applied, that one small action gains the power to produce a feat so remarkable that it will likely never occur again in all of human existence. If you wish to realize your full potential and become number one, you must master consistency for two reasons. First, it's the only way to unlock your true potential over time. Second, it will enable you to perform at your absolute best 100% of the time. Part one, unlocking your true potential over time. It's 5.45 a.m. on January 1st. You're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and dressed in your workout clothes. You toss the cocoa puffs in the trash. That's the garbage you used to eat. From now on, it's green kale smoothies and juice every morning. You pull out your phone and queue up audiobook number one of 52 you will listen to this year. Before you head out the door for your run, you jot down your life goals and gratitudes, a practice you will employ every day. You glance at your freshly made to-do list and remember to stop at the bank on your run and make the first of many deposits into your savings and investing account. This is the year of phenomenal personal growth. You go to bed at the end of the day satisfied and content. You hit every single goal today. You feel amazing. At this pace, by year's end, you will be fitter, better read, better organized, more accomplished, and more financially secure than 99.99% of the population you will be a top 1% performer. You drift off to sleep. It's 6.15 a.m. on January 2nd, the same year. You had to snooze a little because your body wasn't quite ready for the sleep deprivation you dumped on it the day before, but that's okay, you'll just jog faster. Jeez, 20 degrees outside, it's freezing. Uh, maybe just a couple push-ups inside will do. Well, 
now you're running late and don't have time to make a kale smoothie, but honestly, it was kind of nasty anyway. So you opt for a healthy cereal like Raisin Bran Crunch. You pull out your phone to do your goals and gratitudes, but get distracted by social media. While scrolling Instagram, an ad pops up for those shoes you've been wanting. They're on sale. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, one purchase isn't going to financially ruin you, so you buy them and rush out. Finally, the day is over and you go to bed feeling the opposite of how you felt the day before. Lying in bed, you also remember you forgot to make your gratitude and goals list, but now it's dark and you're tired. You can just do it tomorrow. You wake up on January 3rd and return to living and behaving the same way you did before you decided to radically change your life for the better. Throughout the year, you have recalibration days that look similar to January 1st, but for the most part, nothing in your life is radically better, and you definitely are not dominating in every aspect of your life like you planned. Some variation of this narrative probably sounds familiar to 99% of people throughout the world. Most people desire to live a radically better life than they are currently living, but can't seem to make the changes necessary to do so. Why are so many people only able to make grand aspirational grabs at greatness instead of consistently living it? Reflecting on his career and success, billionaire Bill Gates explained why so many failed to achieve their true potential. Quoting, Most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in ten. End quote. People also overestimate what they can do in a week or month and underestimate what they can do in a year or even one summer. When people decide to achieve greatness, they usually make mighty, daring, grand, and short-lived efforts. Stop doing that. Instead, identify actions that are small enough that you can do them consistently. These are actions that are small enough that you have the total ability to complete them every day if you choose to. Once they have become a part of your nature and daily habit, then you can increase the quantity and size of those actions. When asked about becoming the best, Will Smith explained his path to success in this way. Quote, You don't try to build a wall. You don't say, I'm going to build the biggest, baddest wall that's ever been built. You say, I'm going to lay this brick as perfectly as a brick can be laid. And you do that every single day, and soon you have a wall. End quote. Do you want to be the top performing rep in your industry? Become a billionaire entrepreneur? The number one motivational speaker on the planet? Cure world hunger? Have incredible and enriching relationships? Be in the best shape of your life? Achieve nirvana? Whatever your great ambitions, forget about them for one second. Instead of trying to accomplish all of those things today, identify the small and simple actions that, if compounded over time, will get you there. As Confucius once said, By small and simple things are great things brought to pass, and small means, in many instances, doth confound the wise. Consistency gives you the power to unlock your true potential over time. Consider this list of things you can do and become, all of which take less than a decade to accomplish. Doctor, pilot, successful business owner, published author, parent of a large family, company executive, PhD in anything, owner of a prestigious law firm, champion bodybuilder, Ivy League MBA, Ivy League professor, professional musician, licensed inventor, 1,000 other absolutely remarkable accomplishments. This is why Chinese billionaire entrepreneur Jack Ma says, quote, When you have not accomplished anything by the time you are 35, no one will pity you. End quote. You may have had plenty of time to become someone incredible and accomplish incredible things. You just didn't act consistently enough to do so. Work and consistency are the two gatekeepers of the realm of top 1% performance. Hustle alone is not enough. You need to hustle consistently. There are many who work their guts out who never make it simply because they do not operate in harmony with this principle. When you sprinkle consistency into your broth of action, you have the recipe for unimaginable achievement. The truth is, 
Most of life's greatest accomplishments cannot be achieved without consistent action over time. Imagine, for a moment, you are standing at the bottom of a great staircase. It's incredibly long and high, but you can still see the top. The steps are small and easy to climb, but there's one catch. If you stop moving, the staircase immediately becomes a slide. Your goal is to reach the top. You begin ascending. Little by little, step by step, you climb. You're making progress towards the top. But eventually the steps become too monotonous, too tedious, too slow. So, you start sprinting as fast as you can. Eventually you get tired of running upstairs and stop to catch your breath. However, the moment you do, each step you've already taken flattens and the whole staircase turns into one steep slope. You slide all the way back down to the bottom. The stairs then reappear and you must start again. This time, you climb a little further before you start to wonder if there might be an escalator nearby you could take instead. You stop to look and once again you slide all the way back down to the bottom. The stairs again reappear and you start for a third time. This process repeats itself over and over and over again. Each time you climb a little further, but each time you find some reason to stop stepping and you slide back down. This is how most people progress in the different dimensions of their lives. Each small stair represents the simple actions that lead you step by step to your full potential. The difficulty in reaching the top is not in walking the steps, but in walking them consistently. The reason 99% of people don't reach their potential is because they can't stay consistent enough to reach the top. They get impatient with their slow and steady progression and begin making mighty, daring, and grand attempts to reach the top. Or they get tricked into looking for shortcuts. They interrupt their steady ascent and forget that becoming the absolute best in any dimension of their life is only achieved through the repetition of small and simple steps. As Will Durant said, quote, We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act but a habit. End quote. Being remarkable does not actually require you to do anything remarkable. It just requires you to be remarkably consistent. If you want to build the biggest, baddest, greatest wall that's ever been built, then become a master bricklayer and lay your bricks one by one with perfect consistency. Here's the bricklayer's formula. Small and simple actions plus consistency equals massive results. To maximize your potential and become the absolute best in your ambitions, you must first identify the small and simple actions that will lead you to that goal. Make sure those actions are small enough that they are within your total power to achieve them perfectly every day. This is the only way to unlock your true potential over time. Part 2. Performing at your best 100% of the time. Think back to the absolute best day you've had in regard to the aspect of your life you are trying to become the best at. Your best day of selling when you crushed your previous record. That afternoon at the gym when you felt like Superman. The day when you and your partner or spouse were completely and perfectly in sync and happy. These experiences are glimpses into your full potential. You know what your potential is because you've experienced it before, but only briefly. So why is it so difficult to transform that peak potential into your daily standard? People fail to perform consistently at their best for two core reasons, a lack of motivation or a lack of discipline. Performing at your best 100% of the time. Part 1. Motivation. For 99% of people, their performance is directly tied to their motivation. When they are highly motivated, they perform easily and consistently. But the moment they are no longer motivated, they stop performing or the quality of their performance significantly drops. Relive the last time you felt highly motivated. Your mojo's flowing. You feel completely on fire. You work with passion and focus. It's like your beast mode is activated and you're a positive influence on everyone around you. You feel invincible and in perfect rhythm. And you're confident, energetic, engaged, and execute everything with purpose and precision. It's really easy to be consistent when you're highly motivated. But eventually that feeling goes away. At some point you lose your mojo. The switch gets flipped off somehow. Beast mode deactivates. 
motivation wanes. Work becomes a monotonous chore again, and distractions have an irresistible magnetic pull. You become negative, and as you do, your insecurities and exhaustion surface, and you cycle back down to normal levels of energy and excitement, or possibly even dip into a performance lull. And with all of these things pulling you down, you break your chain of consistency and destroy the compounding effect of those small and simple actions that were building you towards greatness. It's clear that consistent performance flows naturally from consistent motivation. So how do you stay highly motivated all the time? The answer is you can't. But you can summon it when you need it. Summoning Motivation Step 1 Goal Emotionalization The hammer is a tool whose innovation dates back to the origins of humanity. Over the thousands of years of its existence, it's remained largely unchanged. The hammer is simple but effective, as long as it's used properly. In the hands of a toddler, a hammer is totally useless, even destructive. In the hands of a master carpenter, however, it can build practically anything. A simple tool also exists for staying motivated and executing consistently. They're called goals. That's right, goals. Like those monotonously spouted off every day at sales meetings around the world. The same goals that you anxiously jot down somewhere or review when you realize you're off track in some area of your life. And the same goals you set every year on December 31st. Like the unchanging hammer, the tool for consistent performance is simple and immortal. Goals are so simple and familiar, in fact, that most disregard them and seek for a more complex solution. But every top performer will affirm that setting and accomplishing goals is the way they remain consistent. So how do top one percenters use goals differently than everybody else that allows them to summon motivation when they need it? The reason goals fail to help most people perform consistently is because most people only set goals and don't go any further with them. In order for goals to have maximum impact on your performance and motivation, there are three other steps that must be followed. Step one, set your goal. Step two, find a why that makes you cry. Step three, tie that why to your goals. And step four, create a trigger. Let's talk about step number one, set your goal. A seaman on a small boat was lost at sea, surrounded by a deep fog. The fog was so thick he couldn't see past the end of his boat. He was alone and knew if he could not reach land, he would die. His wife and family were waiting for him at home, and he desperately needed to make it back to them safely. Although the seaman was completely disoriented and didn't know which way his destination lay, he knew that there existed a series of buoys anchored at sea that would guide him safely to land. Knowing that the buoys were the only spot for seagulls to land, he decided to row towards their squawks. As he rowed closer and closer to the sound, suddenly, amid the gray, impenetrable mist, surfaced an orange buoy. Upon reaching the first buoy, he repeated this process and continued onward until he reached the next buoy, then the next, then the next. The more he rowed, the more his back ached and his arms burned. He wanted to quit multiple times, but persisted until he eventually arrived safely on land where he was safely reunited with his family. This story illustrates the process of effective goal setting. First, the seaman knew the final destination he wanted to reach, his end goal. The land represents his clear vision of what he wanted to accomplish in the end. Second, he knew the steps to get there. The buoy represents his smaller goals milestones or checkpoints third he knew how to hit his goals by cleverly following the sound of the seagulls he devised a plan for reaching each of his goals and fourth he worked the plan until he achieved what he wanted vision goals plan work this technique is known as dream and work backwards and is the first step in performing consistently at a high level start by clearly identifying your grand vision for what you want to accomplish. For example, be the top earner in my company. Then identify the daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual goals that will get you there. For example, sell 15 accounts per week. Then construct the plan 
that will get you to your goals. For example, knock an extra two hours per day and study sales one hour in the morning. Then go to work. Step two, find a why that makes you cry. Viktor Frankl was born in 1905 in the beautiful countryside of Vienna. His interests in psychology began at a young age and blossomed into an incredibly successful career as a psychiatrist and neurologist. His techniques proved successful in reducing suicides within almost any population in which they were employed. His work, however, encountered serious roadblocks. In 1938, the Germans overtook his country of Austria, and being Jewish, his practice became severely restricted both in where he could work and on whom he could work. As German control spread, he eventually found himself confined to a single hospital where he heroically helped Austrian patients avoid the Nazis' euthanasia program. Eventually, his professional work came to a total halt when, in 1942, he and his family were deported to Nazi ghettos and concentration camps. There, Victor used his skills within the camps to help prisoners alleviate shock and grief and prevent suicide. Interestingly, Victor now found himself inside the perfect social experiment concerning human motivation. In the camps, the primary motivation was to live, to simply keep going. Many of his fellow prisoners died, not being able to find the motivation within themselves to carry on living. Frankel noticed that there was a difference among those who survived and those who did not. Those that had an inner will to survive possessed a sense of purpose that was focused on a person or a cause. He explained, quote, Being human always points to something or someone other than one's self, be it another human being or a meaning to fulfill, a man who becomes conscious of the responsibility he bears towards a human being who affectionately waits for him or to an unfinished work knows the why for his existence and will be able to bear almost any how. In some ways, suffering ceases to become suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. End quote. In other words, the most powerful motivation comes in the form of a person or a cause. So ask yourself, who are the people in your life that affectionately wait for you? What is the grand unfinished work of your life that needs to be accomplished before you die? For whom or for what would you be willing to die? Maximizing your performance potential is not possible if your only motivation is money. You need to think deeply and discover why you are doing what you're doing. What drives you? What is the purpose of your life? What ideal do you hold that is bigger than yourself and more important than your own life? Who are the people that you would suffer anything for? The answers to these questions represent your why. The deepest purpose that drives everything you do and gives everything meaning. It is that one thing that motivates you so deeply that just thinking about it gets your heart pumping and your neurons firing. Without a why, there is no sustainable motivation. Step three, tie your why to your goals. You know your goals, you know your why, but you're not done yet. In order to become a wizard of motivation, you need to complete another important step. You must tie your why to your goals. To quote Darren Hardy, It's time for why power. Your choices are only meaningful when you connect them to your desires and dreams. The wisest and most motivating choices are the ones aligned with that which you identify as your purpose, your core self, and your highest values. You've got to want something and know why you want it, or you'll end up giving up too easily. The person who has a clear, compelling, and white-hot burning why will always defeat even the best of the best at doing the how. End quote. The act of setting a goal by stating or writing down a number or sentence is personally meaningless. The number 35 or the sentence lose 15 pounds has no significance in and of itself. It's what the goal represents that makes it meaningful. Does 100 sales in a quarter give you the money to start the real estate investing career you've always dreamed about? 
Does losing and keeping off 15 pounds extend your life so you can spend more time with your kids? By linking your goals to your hopes, ambitions, life aspirations, and the people you love, you can transform them into something deeply personal and sacred. Andrew Carnegie, one of the most consistent producers of all time, began a research project led by a man named Napoleon Hill. Over a 20-year period, Hill interviewed the most successful contemporaries in America. In the following quote, the word goals has been substituted for the word thoughts to make the application clearer. Carefully consider this passage from Hill's transformational classic, Think and Grow Rich. Quote, Emotions are the factors which give goals vitality, life, and action. All goals which have been emotionalized, or in other words, given feeling, begin immediately to translate themselves into their physical equivalent. End quote. It is not enough to have a why. You must logically tie your why to your goals in order to give them feeling. Only then can you begin converting them into reality. How does the work you're doing right now improve the quality of life for the people you care most about? How is the work you are doing right now connected to your life's grand purpose? You may need to get creative to make the connection, but it's absolutely necessary if you want to be able to summon the motivation required to consistently dominate in life. As you sacrifice your energy and put your heart into the pursuit of your goals, you must build a bridge between that sacrifice and the people you love or the cause you hold most dear. If a particular goal is represented by a number, you need to emotionally hinge all your future dreams on that number. To go high in your production, you need to go deep in your why. Only then will you be able to smooth out your emotional highs and lows to guarantee consistent performance. To summarize, Motivation comes when there is purpose to your work, and that purpose exists in the form of a person or people you love or a greater cause you are profoundly passionate about. These two things represent your why. This gives us a formula for motivation. Motivation equals goals plus purpose. And that purpose is a person or a cause. To repeat Motivation equals goals plus purpose. Motivation naturally springs up at the intersection of work and purpose. By giving your goals and work purpose in the form of a person or a cause, the suffering will transform into meaning that will infuse motivation into your work. Referencing Will Smith, ridiculous and sickening work ethic stops becoming sickening and starts becoming exhilarating when it's directly connected to what matters most to you in life. Step four, create a trigger. You know your goals, you know your why, and you've tied your goals to your why. But there is still one last step. You need a trigger. A trigger is something that will remind you about all of this, your goals and your why, and those moments when you are in need of motivation. The following story exemplifies the type of trigger that will allow you to pull this entire process together and consistently summon powerful motivation. I'm sitting in my car at the end of a particularly exhausting and frustrating day. My goal for the day is three sales, and I have two. Usually I feel pretty motivated when I'm working, but not today. Today I just don't have it in me. I slept poorly the night before, I'm sore from walking around, and my voice hurts from talking. Even if I do attempt to get a third sale and hit my goal, I'm so burnt out that I seriously doubt if I'll even be able to do it. I sit in my car, waiting for the sun to set over the horizon. In a few minutes, it'll be dusk, which means it's technically acceptable for me to call it a day and go home. I tell myself, I'll just hit it extra hard tomorrow and make up for quitting a little early today, but deep down I know this isn't true, and I don't really care. At this point, I'm willing to believe any excuse that allows me to be done. There's just no use in working anymore today. How could I perform when I'm feeling this demotivated? I look down at my iPad. There's a special calendar that I keep open all day. It has a spreadsheet laid over the top of it, and it only shows two things. My sales goal and what I've actually sold. 
Every time I close a deal, I immediately add the sale to my calendar so I can keep pace. I'm staring at today's box. Goal, three sales. Actual, two sales. Then I shift my eyes sideways to an image I have placed next to my goals, specifically for moments like these when I need a boost. The image is a picture taken at a playground in La Jolla, California. I'm pushing my daughter in a swing. My wife is next to us smiling with a bright orange sunset in the background. My two greatest joys in life are my family and the ocean. Just the thought of actually living in a beach home with my family gets my heart racing. I allow myself to get lost in the picture. I imagine waking up to the sound and smell of the sea. I imagine surfing and diving every morning before work. I feel the cold water on my skin, the hot sun on my back. I see my kids tan and covered in sand, laughing, running into the waves. Then I say to myself, hit your goal and you can have it all. The beach house, the sand, the ocean, everything you've ever wanted. It's all yours. Just get one more sale. After just a couple moments, my entire emotional state has shifted. I look back at my goal sheet and immediately find that one sale that's missing to be repulsively unacceptable. I storm out of the car and sprint up to the door I'm parked in front of. A gentleman answers and tells me the home belongs to his sister. She's home, but he attempts to get me off the porch by telling me she's too busy to talk. But I tell him I really need to talk to her and I ask him if he'll please go get her. She eventually comes to the door and tells me that she currently has services through one of my competitors and was already planning on switching companies. I realize this is the sale that I need, but she cuts me off saying that she is absolutely beat after a long day of work and needs to do this another time. I insist that we should keep talking about it. After some back and forth, she finally looks at me and asks, is this really that important? Filled with the emotions of my holy cause, I look her straight in the eye and say, it absolutely is. Could I please come inside and talk to you about this? Within 30 minutes, the deal is closed, and to this day, she is still one of my happiest customers. This is the power of the goal emotionalization process. First, I knew exactly what my goal was. Second, I knew my why. Third, I tied my why to my goals. And fourth, I created a trigger that like a volcano erupted motivation within me. Had I not used my why to emotionally charge myself, one of three things would have happened that day. I would have quit and gone home without hitting my goal. The man that answered the door would have successfully deterred me. Or I would have allowed the woman to reduce the sale to an unlikely follow-up at some later date. All three of those outcomes would have robbed me of my potential because they would have broken my chain of consistency. What you do today needs to be clearly linked to your biggest dreams in life. If not... The work you do will never produce a feeling of reverent awe within you, and it will feel like drudgery instead of progression and liberation. To quote Simon Sinek, working hard for something we don't care about is called stress. Working hard for something we love is called passion. Goal Emotionalization Summary It's impossible to be highly motivated 100% of the time. But you don't need to be motivated all the time, just when it matters. If you master these steps, you will be able to summon at will all of the motivation you need to tackle the task at hand. As stated by Jim Rohn, quote, the greater the why, the easier the how, end quote. Staying motivated enough to perform consistently is a simple process. Step one, set your goal. Step two, find a why that makes you cry. Step three, tie your why 
to your goals. Step four, create a trigger. And step five, pull that trigger daily. To quote Zig Ziglar, people often say that motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. End quote. Summoning motivation step two, the emotional response scale. To recap, if your goals are emotionalized or given feeling, then you will feel powerfully motivated to consistently hit them. You just learn that tying your goals to your why emotionalizes them. The second way to emotionalize your goals is through an emotional response scale. An emotional response scale involves programming an emotional response relative to your performance towards the accomplishment of your goals. Intentionally selecting what emotions you will experience when you miss, hit, or exceed your goals ensures that you stay emotionally motivated to perform. Let's use an example. A door-to-door alarm rep has a goal to sell one account per day. So his emotional response scale will look like this. If he sells zero, he's going to be bummed. If he gets one, he'll be satisfied. If he gets two, he'll be stoked. As long as his emotions are congruent with the scale, he will push for a sale every day so that he doesn't go home bummed. Once he gets a sale, he will then push for a second sale so he can experience the stoke of beating his goal. He should also expand this ERS out to weekly, monthly, and quarterly, summer, or annual goals. As long as his true emotions reflect his emotional response scale, He will consistently keep pace over those periods of time. For example, if Friday comes and he's only at two sales when he should be at five, the emotional pain of falling short of his weekly goal will push him to work hard those last two days so that he doesn't finish the week feeling disappointed. If Friday comes and he's pacing on track with four sales, the emotional excitement of smashing his goal will push him to work harder to get two sales each day after that. If his monthly goal is 27 sales and he finds himself at 15 sales with one week left in the month, he will feel emotionally compelled to work extra hard that last week so that he doesn't finish the month feeling dissatisfied and disappointed. If he's pacing for his monthly goal, he will feel motivated to work insanely hard that last week to finish the month on an emotional high by surpassing his goal. Human behavior is primarily governed by emotion. Therefore, we can craft our emotions to control our behavior in ways that deliver consistent achievement. Now it's your turn. Think about how you feel after each of the following events. Missing a goal. Hitting a goal. Exceeding a goal. As long as you consistently respond in harmony with the ERS you've laid out, you will be motivated to consistently hit your goals. But ask yourself, do you always feel the way that you just decided that you feel? Sometimes you fall short of a goal and you feel sincere disappointment, healthy frustration, or discontent that makes you determined to make up for the shortcoming with increased effort. But other times you fall short And feel nothing but total indifference and apathy. The way you said that you should feel after missing, hitting, and exceeding a goal can be different than the reality of your true emotional responses. They can often vary drastically. This causes your performance and production to stray away from consistency. In this case, you aren't controlling your emotions. Your emotions are controlling you and your performance. How to keep your emotions in harmony with your ERS. When someone's emotional responses are incongruent with their goals, their performance is inconsistent. Maybe you have a goal to sell five accounts per day, and yet you feel totally satisfied when you sell three. Or perhaps you want to be healthy and trim, 
but you skip a workout and feel zero discontent over it. Or say you want to be financially free, but then feel perfectly happy living beyond your means. Why does this happen? The reason is because everyone enjoys feeling great after beating their goals. But nobody wants to feel disappointed if they miss their goal. So they rationalize and justify and self-deceive themselves into feeling satisfied with mediocrity. They are robbing themselves of the healthy frustration that would push them to perform better. Becoming slowly satisfied with mediocrity is totally out of harmony with their goals and desires. You must not do this. Here are ways to ensure that you maintain healthy discontent when you perform below your potential. Recognize. If a sales rep has a goal to sell two accounts per day, but feels completely satisfied selling one or none, she will never consistently hit her goal. Her first step is to recognize that her emotions are out of sync with her goal. Make a daily, weekly, monthly, annual comparison of your goals and performance and intentionally experience the appropriate emotion. Review your ERS at the start and end of every day to make sure you train your emotional responses. Two, self-talk. Whatever scale you choose to adopt, it's important to realize that your actual emotional response will not correlate correctly at first. That's okay. One of the most effective ways to force yourself to experience correct emotions is through audible self-talk. Leading performance expert Brian Tracy in studying top producers in various industries found audible self-talk to be a common practice for controlling behavior. Quote, Whatever you say to yourself with feeling is accepted by your subconscious mind as instruction or command. Your subconscious mind will then give you the feelings consistent with the message that you have sent to it. End quote. Using sales as an example, suppose you're nearing the end of a long day with two sales when your goal was three. Honestly, the only thing you feel is a desire to go home and sit on the couch and forget about the day. But after reading this chapter, you know that calling it a day without taking one crucial step first will lead straight to consistency breakdown and performance failure. So you take a deep breath, flip down the mirror on your car visor, look into your own eyes and say aloud, I fell short of my goal today. That's not okay. That's totally unacceptable. I feel disappointed. I could have done better but chose not to. If I do what I just did today every day, I will never achieve my dreams and aspirations. Then you let the emotional sting set in for a minute. You will be filled with healthy discontent and a commitment to finish the day strong and do better the next day. Now let's say you come home after a long day with four sales when your goal was three. Once again, all you want to do is go home and relax on the couch. But remembering this chapter, you know that forgetting to experience the right emotions will lead to consistency breakdown and eventually performance failure. You need to congratulate yourself. So you flip down the mirror on your car visor, look into your own eyes, and say aloud, I crushed it today. That's awesome. More than awesome. It's phenomenal. I feel stoked and energized. The decision not to quit until I hit my goals was the right choice. If I do what I just did every day, I will be on the fast track to achieving my goals and aspirations. Then you let the emotional elation set in for a moment. Do this and you will create for yourself powerful incentives to perform consistently every single day. Step three to ensuring that your emotional responses correlate to your ERS. Ignore outside influences. Your ERS may be different from everyone else's around you. These are your goals, and how you respond to some particular level of performance may vary from someone else. Your satisfied may be another person's stoked out of their mind. You may outperform the entire team but still fall short of your goal. Others will probably give you praise because your performance is above average. 
but don't emotionally settle, especially because of the praise of others. Outwardly accept the praise, but inwardly discard it. Maintain that healthy discontent that's necessary to hit your goals. With practice and intentional effort, you will form a habit of automatically responding emotionally in a way that ensures you will be motivated on a daily basis to hit your goals. Using the emotional response scale to increase production. You can also use the ERS to level up in your performance by leveling up your emotional response scale. For example, even though normally you would be completely satisfied to sell one account per day, begin reprogramming your emotions to feel unsatisfied with one. You fell short. You could have done better. Don't allow yourself to feel contented and satisfied with your day's performance until you sell two. What if you want to level up more and consistently sell three per day? Well, just level up your ERS again. Two sales in a day is unacceptable. It is not until you get three that you feel satisfied with your day's production. Sales reps that are emotionally committed to selling three per day are completely unsatisfied when they come home with two sales because they know that this level of production puts them below their goals. They don't even start to get excited about the day until they hit their fourth sale. When their coworkers pat them on the back and say, great job selling two today, they say, thank you, but inwardly resent the praise because it's at conflict with their inner reality that only two sales is unacceptable. Remember, it doesn't matter how you rank in comparison to anyone else. It only matters how you rank in comparison to your goal. A person who refuses to be satisfied until he or she hits their goal will in time find a way to hit it. The universe will eventually take note and start bending itself to conform with that man or woman's inner desire. A personal story illustrates the power of the emotional response scale in enforcing consistent performance. I'm driving home with zero sales after a long day of knocking. For reference, my emotional response scale goes from stoked at four sales to satisfied at three to bummed at two and disgusted at one. With zero sales today, I'm in pure panic mode. Driving home, I feel like I'm in a nightmare. How did I let this happen? How am I going to explain this to my wife? What will I say in the sales meeting tomorrow? A sickening mixture of disappointment, anger, frustration, and even a little despair swirl within me. That night, I can't sleep. My performance today was so far from my goal, I don't know how to process it. Some relief comes when I finally drift off to sleep, but... The second I wake up in the morning, I remember what happened the previous day, and I feel sick all over again. So I get dressed, kiss my wife, grab an apple, and run out the door to start work a good five hours earlier than normal. I finish the day with six sales, hitting my daily goal and making up for yesterday's lack of production. The following day at the sales meeting, I'm congratulated and informed by some of my colleagues that they knew I was going to have an awesome day yesterday. Asking how they knew, they tell me that on the way to the grocery store that morning, they randomly pulled up next to my car at the stopping light. They rolled down the windows to say, hi. They waved. They yelled. They honked. But nothing got my attention. I was leaned forward in the seat, white-knuckling the steering wheel, staring straight ahead. The light turned green and I sped off. My emotional reaction to falling short of my goals the previous day created such a powerful emotional reaction, so much focus and will to succeed that I was oblivious to my physical surroundings. I remember getting my fifth sale that day and still feeling completely unsatisfied and hungry for another sale. My emotional drive forced me to keep my performance consistent with my goals. Using the emotional response scale to crush complacency. It's worth noting that no matter how high the scale climbs, 
an emotional response entitled good enough to stop should never exist. All mediocre reps mistake the satisfied point on the scale with I can relax now. This is called performance satiation. In other words, becoming content with your day's production. For top performers, the amount of accounts they have sold or the amount of work they have done so far in the day is completely irrelevant. Once they've accomplished their initial goal, they just start over and begin attacking their next sales or their next goal with the same hunger as they did their previous one. The top performers in any industry all share the quality of healthy discontent. They are always a little unsettled, restless, and under a self-created tension because they know that their true potential lies just outside of their current level of performance. It's extremely important that you consistently compare your goals to your performance and analyze how you emotionally respond to your performance. If you are not paying attention, you can slip backwards and become completely satisfied even when you don't hit your goal. Because, as has already been explained, in a subconscious attempt to avoid the negative emotions associated with failing, we lie to ourselves with things like, I'll just hit it hard tomorrow. This is a habit of inconsistent and mediocre performers. It's tempting to mislead ourselves with justification and excuses. However, people who embody the principle of consistency do not allow themselves to fall into this trap. They fight mentally and emotionally to prevent it. Becoming satisfied with falling below your goals is performance and growth death. You need to slap yourself across the face, dunk your head in a bucket of cold water, and wake up. Emotional complacency is a lethal threat to your success and the greatest destroyer of consistency. It is never okay to fall short of a goal without experiencing your chosen emotion. Motivation summary. To maximize your human potential and become the best in your field, industry, or company, you need to harness the power of consistency. Staying motivated is the easiest way to stay consistent, and motivation is tied to emotions. By tying your why to your goals and creating a trigger, you can summon powerful emotions to create motivation whenever you need it. By creating and enforcing an emotional response scale, you can increase your performance, stave off complacency and procrastination, and create powerful incentives to keep your production consistent. Now that you understand the source of motivation and how to draw it, I want you to forget about it. Pretend motivation does not exist. Assume that you will never experience innate motivation again in your life. Now what? Is it still possible to execute with perfect consistency? Performing at your best 100% of the time, part two, discipline. Quote, It was a night when London was ringed and stabbed with fire. They came just after dark, and somehow you could sense from the quick, bitter firing of the guns that there was to be no monkey business tonight. Shortly after the sirens wailed, you could hear the Germans grinding overhead. In my room, with its black curtains drawn across the windows, you could feel the shake from the guns. You could hear the boom, crump, 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 crump of heavy bombs at their work of tearing buildings apart. They were not too far away. About every two minutes, a new wave of planes would be over. The motor seemed to grind rather than roar, and to have an angry pulsation like a bee buzzing in blind fury. Into the dark, shadowed spaces below us, while we watched, whole batches of incendiary bombs fell. We saw two dozen go off in two seconds. They flashed terrifically, then quickly simmered down to pinpoints of dazzling white, burning ferociously. Flames seemed to whip hundreds of feet into the air. Pinkish-white smoke ballooned upwards in great clouds. I shall always remember above all the other things in my life that one single view of London. Stabbed with great fires, 
shaken by explosions, its dark regions along the Thames River sparkling with the pinpoints of white hot bombs, all of it roofed over with a ceiling of pink that held bursting bombshells, balloons, flares, and the grind of vicious engines. End quote. This eyewitness account of the London bombings depicts the situation in which Sir Winston Churchill found himself immediately following his election of prime minister. He was ill-equipped and unprepared to confront the most fearful tyrant this world has ever known. For many British citizens, the only emotions they felt were hopelessness, fear, and despair. But for Winston, his emotional reaction to the reality of their dire situation was of no consequence compared to his resolve for action. He knew what needed to be done and didn't need motivation to do it. Winston was famously quoted as saying, Sometimes doing your best is not enough. Sometimes you must do what is required. End quote. Whatever his best may have been in that situation was now irrelevant. He knew what was required to face the German monster head to head. When Winston was asked what the goal was, he was crystal clear. Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. End quote. But Winston not only knew the goal, he knew the process to get there. Quote, What is our policy? It is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might, and with all the strength that God can give us. End quote. He was disciplined and committed, and by rallying strength from supporting nations, he was able to accomplish the impossible. Winston found himself in a situation where he had no choice but to accomplish his goal. A lack of motivation or resources was no excuse for non-performance, because the options were clear. Either Britain would accomplish her goal or die as a nation. What can we glean from this story? The discipline necessary to execute with perfect consistency requires you to view the accomplishment of your goals as a requirement for survival. You do what is necessary or you die. It doesn't matter how motivated you feel or what you feel at all. You do what needs to be done even if what needs to be done is beyond your capacity. Do it anyway. Turn your goal into a requirement. People ask so frequently how to stay motivated. But what they are really asking is how to consistently perform at their best. Their question falsely assumes that motivation is needed to do that. The truth is that you can consistently perform at your best even if motivation and emotion are permanently taken from you. Discipline is the consistency safety net that will ensure you always perform no matter your emotional state. Many top performers find motivation to be too transient and unreliable. Your moods will waver, your motivation will fluctuate, and your personal opinion of your best will subjectively morph. You may welcome motivation when it decides to show up, but you must build your mansion of success on the bedrock of discipline. Like Winston Churchill outlining his path to victory, you must identify the actions and processes that will predictably lead you to your goals. Then you must make that process a requirement. By setting a standard that is objective, you have a fixed war cry that does not waver and a process that you've committed to with a do-or-die fervor. You are deaf to excuses. Use logic to identify a process, then use discipline to accomplish that process every day. Process versus motivation. The steps for achieving consistent performance without motivation is simple. Step one, set your goal. Step two, identify the process that will accomplish that goal. Step three, work that process with a do-or-die discipline. Step one, set your goal. This step is identical to the goal-setting process outlined previously in the motivation section. 
Step two, identify the process that will accomplish that goal. The seaman lost in the ocean made it home by rowing toward the seagull squawks and following each buoy to land. When his body became fatigued, he used goal emotionalization to get the motivation to keep rowing. But even if he had zero success in motivating himself through goal emotionalization, he could have forced himself to keep rowing by focusing on the process of rowing. Lean forward and place the oars in the water. Pull back and lift the oars out. Adjust towards the next buoy. Repeat. Disciplined adherence to the process would have also gotten him safely home no matter his level of motivation. A goal is achieved when a specific process is executed. If you can figure out the process that leads to your goal and walk that path with discipline every day, you will succeed. If you want to be in the top 1% by consistently performing your way to the top, then start with your end goal and work backwards. Identify each milestone and step that leads to it. Then force yourself to never miss a step. Let's use door-to-door sales as an example again and incorporate some simple math. Say your goal is to make 100 k this summer. How many accounts do you need to sell in order to do that? How many days do you have to do it? How many hours on average does it take for you to sell an account? After those calculations, you might find that you need to sell 200 accounts in 100 days to make 100K. Or in other words, you need to sell two accounts every day. If on average it takes you four hours to prospect and sell an account, then you need to be prospecting at least eight hours each day. You normally work from 2 to 8.30 with 30 minutes of little breaks here and there. That's only six hours. You need to find two more hours during the day. If you eliminate the breaks, pack lunch instead of going out to eat after your morning meeting, and knock 30 minutes after dark, you've found the extra two hours. As a buffer, if you study sales for one hour in the morning, you'll be able to decrease the time it takes to make sales. You now have a process that will get you to your goal. It looks like this. Daily process for selling 200. Study sales for one hour at 9 a.m. Pack a lunch every morning at 10 a.m. Leave straight from the office meeting to work area. Never take breaks or sit down unless it's inside of homes with prospects. Never get back in the car until it's time to go home. Knock the first door by 1 p.m. Not consistently until 45 minutes after the street lights come on. Based on your selling averages, this process, if followed perfectly, will lead you to your goal. You don't need to feel motivated to perform or hit your goals. You don't even need to feel motivated to accomplish these steps. All you need to do is build up your discipline to the point that you can do each of these things no matter how you feel. Step three, work that process with a do or die discipline. If you are disciplined enough to work your process consistently, then motivation becomes irrelevant. Thinking back to Will Smith's treadmill quote, Will knows he will outlast anyone on a treadmill, not because he's more athletic or motivated, but because he has simplified the process into two outcomes. Either he wins Or he dies. To repeat the quote, The only thing that I see that is distinctly different about me is that I'm not afraid to die on a treadmill. You might have more talent than me. You might be smarter than me. But if we get on a treadmill together, there's only two outcomes. You're getting off first or I'm going to die. It's such a simple, basic concept. The path to becoming a top performer And the best person you can be is the path of discipline. To quote Albert Gray, The successful person has the habit of doing the things failures don't like to do. They don't like doing them either necessarily, but their disliking is subordinated to the strength of their purpose. End quote. There is no force on earth as powerful as the human will to survive.
Stop viewing your goals as goals and start viewing them as a necessity for your survival. If you do not accomplish your goals, you will die. If you approach the process with that type of intensity, it doesn't matter how motivated you feel. You will always perform. Principle two, consistency, summary and action items. Remember, consistency is the key that will unlock your human potential over time and allow you to perform at your best 100% of the time. Motivation drives consistent performance. Consistent performance requires conscious control of your emotions. Emotionalizing your goals will give them life. You need to dream and work backwards in order to set your goals. Find a why that makes you cry. Tie that why to your goals. Create a trigger to get motivated. Pull that trigger when you need it. Remember the formula for motivation. Motivation equals work plus purpose. And that purpose comes in the form of a person or a cause. Remember also to create and enforce your emotional response scale. Use discipline to consistently perform without motivation. The three steps are one, set your goals. Two, identify the process that will accomplish those goals. And three, work that process with a do or die discipline. Action items. Who is or who are the most important people in your life? How do they benefit when you accomplish your goals? What cause is most dear to you? How does accomplishing your goals get you nearer to that cause? When you get a chance, write out your emotional response scale. How do you feel in the event of missing a goal, hitting a goal, and exceeding a goal? And what does that look like for you? What are those specific numbers? Ask yourself, what is the specific process that will predictably get you to your goals? How will you ensure that you follow that process even when you feel unmotivated to do so? Recommended reading. The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Start with Why by Simon Sinek. Goals. How to Get Everything You Want Faster Than You Ever Thought Possible by Brian Tracy. The Greatest Salesman in the World by Ogmandino. Scrolls 5, 6, and 9. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey, specifically the chapter on roles and goals. The Power of Starting Something Stupid by Richie Norton, specifically the chapter Live to Start. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, the chapter on goal emotionalization. 